0: Jeremiah chapter 31, and I would like to read verses 31 through 40. I am going to read out of my HCSB to get us an opening text. This is what I'm going to be teaching on for the next three Sabbaths. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 40, and probably we'll get into 32 and into 33 as well. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. Look, the days are coming. This is Yahweh's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant they broke even though I had married them. Yahweh's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Yahweh's declaration. I will place my law within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their mighty one, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. Yahweh's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. This is what Yahweh says. The one who gives the sun for light by day, the fixed order of moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and makes its waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from my presence, this is Yahweh's declaration, then also Israel's descendants will cease to be a nation before me forever. This is what Yahweh says, that the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below explored. I will reject all of Israel's descendants because of all they have done. This is Yahweh's declaration. Look, the days are coming, Yahweh's declaration, when the city from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate will be rebuilt for Yahweh. A measuring line will once again stretch out straight to the hill of Gereb and then turn toward Goa, The whole valley, the corpses, the ashes, and all the fields as far as the Kidron Valley to the corner of the horse gate to the east will be holy to Yahweh, and it will never be uprooted or demolished again. Yahweh bless the word from the prophet to our hearts today. I've got a debate coming up next Tuesday evening, which will be preparation day, moving into the Holy Sabbath. And... That's at 8 p.m. It'll be live on YouTube. If anybody would like to watch that, I'll probably put a link out on Facebook and maybe on YouTube as well. And the topic of the debate is, did the Apostle Paul remain Torah observant after his conversion to the Messiah? So I'm debating somebody that believes, basically, that the law of Moses has been abolished and it's been replaced with the law of Christ. And he thinks that there's variances and differences between those two laws. And so that's what I've been studying about and that's what's on my mind. So I thought because I was going over some things in the Newer Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 about the New Covenant that I would go back and teach some lessons on the New Covenant. I recently had somebody ask me if I had any sermons on the New Covenant and I thought for sure that I had. But when I looked through hundreds and hundreds of lessons I couldn't find any sermons on the New Covenant and I was blown away because I thought surely I had taught about the New Covenant. I've mentioned it before in sermons, but I've never taught any sermons about it. So I enjoy going back over things. That's how we learn. We rehearse. We gain in knowledge over the years so that we're more developed in our maturity spiritually and our understanding 5, 10, 15 years from now. And then when we go back to the subject again and restudy it or re-look at it again, we see things with fresh eyes. We see things in ways that we would never see them before. And so I enjoy going back over things. I enjoy discussing and debating because discussion and debate reveals ideas, strengths. It reveals flaws sometimes in our understanding so we can fine-tune what we believe. So this whole New Covenant versus the Old Covenant thing has popped back into my mind. I look like what people call Old Covenant. I had a fellow tell me one time, you look like the Old Testament, Matthew. I was going to pick up some wood from a local sawmill and one of the main men out there at the sawmill walked over to me and he said he just had somebody that worked for him come up to him when he saw me get out of the truck and he said, who in the world is that guy over there? And my friend Nathan told him, that's a priest, that's the Old Old Testament priest. (laughs) And me and old Nathan laughed about it, but we talked about the Scriptures for a little bit. Yet I believe in the New Testament writings, even though I might look Old Testament. And some people might think I only go by the Old Testament. And some people might spread rumors that I only teach out of the Old Testament. One time it got around back to me that some people were saying that Matthew only taught from the book of Leviticus. That was it. And it's amazing how gossip can get spread and people will believe things without researching a matter out. Even though I believe strongly in the Older Testament and I believe in the validity of the Old Covenant as Yahweh gave it, I still believe in the apostolic writings, the Newer Testament writings, and I believe in the New Covenant. We just read it from the prophet Jeremiah, an Old Covenant prophet that prophesied about the New Covenant that was to come. Brother McCord texted me today and said, What's the name of the church? I've been coming here for many years and I don't know the name of the church. (laughs) A long time ago, Brother Arnold and I were on a radio broadcast and at the beginning of the broadcast he would quote a couple of texts, one from the book of Isaiah and one from the book of 2 Corinthians 3. He would say, We are restorers of paths to dwell in, repairers of the breach, and we're able ministers of the new covenant. Now this was back in like the late 90s. And I didn't know near as much about the Bible then as I know now. But I picked up with that and I read Second Corinthians 3 where Paul calls New Covenant believers able ministers of the New Covenant. I later learned that the word minister means a servant. A lot of times we call people Minister Brown or Minister Smith and they think it's a prestigious thing and they might put it on a plaque and stick it on the door of an office at a church but the word minister, it stems from the Latin language. We pull it from Latin to English, but it means to serve. A servant of the new covenant. And so that's kind of where we got the name Ministers of the New Covenant. And so when people ask me where I assemble, I tell them Ministers of the New Covenant Fellowship. So hopefully that answers Brother McCord's text. He sent me all kind of names. I told him I like to keep people guessing. That's why we don't got a church sign <laughs> I heard a guy tell say one time that he didn't use his blinkers because he didn't want people behind him to know what he was thinking. <laughs> I want to talk about Bible definitions before we get to Jeremiah 31. Many times we confuse concepts and words because we don't go to the Bible and allow the Bible to define those words and concepts for us. How many of us have gotten into a conversation with somebody about sin and we ask them what sin is and they say well it's doing wrong and we ask them what is doing wrong and they say well you know not doing right what do you mean not doing right there is a Bible definition for sin it's in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 and it says sin everybody who sins transgresses the law and sin is the transgression of the law so when we see laws specifically back here at the beginning of the book given from Yahweh through the prophet Moses We see those laws, those commandments, whether it be thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, remember the Sabbath day, or honor your father and your mother. Those are laws that Yahweh gives. And when we transgress or break those laws, that's the Bible definition of sin. So when we talk about how that Yeshua came to save us from our sins and he died for our sins and Yahweh resurrected him for our justification, which justification means the forgiveness of sins we talk about those concepts, we need to understand that Yeshua died not just for people who committed murder or theft or adultery, but He died for Sabbath breaking. He died for covetousness. He died for the alcoholic. He died for the person addicted to drugs, to pharmacia. He died for all of these sins. And he delivers us from these sins. We wouldn't know that, though, if we didn't let the Bible define it for us. What about the word love? We've got so many people today in our culture that define love in certain ways. Free love. It's like we're going back to the Woodstock days where love is just some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, you know. Let's smoke a joint and just talk about love. Uh, that's kind of what people have in their minds. That's not biblical love. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not a burden. So anytime I hear somebody say they have love in this way or that way and it doesn't line up with the commandments, I know it's not scriptural love. But it's a distortion. It's an abuse of love. What about faith? People think faith is just mental assent. Uh, Faith begins in the mind, but it works its way out with the hands and the feet of a person. Um, James says in chapter 2 that the demons believe they know that Yahweh exists. They know there's only one mighty one and they tremble but they don't really have faith. It's because faith does not stop at just mental ascent. If a person has faith it begins in the mind and the heart it works its way out in actions meaning obedience. But we wouldn't know that if we didn't go to the Bible and let the Bible define that concept For us, People trust in cliches, church cliches, Christian cliches, what a pastor or a preacher has told them, what's accepted among Christianity or their peers. We just take that for granted that that's right, but we don't go back to the Scriptures to let the Scriptures define things for us. I worked a young man one time, and he told me he was a New Testament Christian. He said, you don't mind working me, do you? I'm a New Testament Christian. I guess maybe word got back around to him that I was an Old Testament Christian. I don't know. By the way, I don't have any problem being called an Old Testament Christian. I'm a whole Bible Christian. So I asked him, I said, no, that's fine. And When we were working, I asked him, I said, what, what is the New Covenant? This was a young man and he didn't know the answer. He was humble enough to tell me Matthew, I don't know what it is. And I told him, I said, Man, your humility outshines so many people in this world because I've asked the same thing to men three, four, five times your age sometimes. And they're not humble enough to say they don't know but they make up answers and act like they know when they don't. But I explained to him what the new covenant was that day and he listened. I don't know whether he still receives it today or not, but we don't cause the increase. We just plant and water. Amen? Let's look at Jeremiah 31. We'll begin at verse 31. It says, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. See that first phrase, the days come or the days are coming. Whenever you read the prophet's And you see the prophets say, Behold, the days are coming or the days come. A lot of times it's talking about final redemption or messianic era. Last things. Think about John chapter 6, I believe, where Yeshua says, I will raise him up at the last day. The prophet says, Behold, the days come. It's future things. It's future to people that are hearing the prophet. And then notice it says Yahweh, or the HCSP says Yahweh's declaration, meaning that the prophet, Jeremiah, he's giving forth the word, but Yahweh is speaking through the prophet, because the word prophet literally means a man who stands in the place of Yahweh on earth and speaks the words of Yahweh on his behalf. The words from heaven are spoken through Yahweh's emissary on the earth. So this is Yahweh speaking. And he says, I will make a new covenant. The word covenant is not that difficult to understand. The covenant is an alliance or an agreement. It would be like if uh, me and Brother TJ shook hands and gave our word for each other. Let's say I was going to do some septic tank work for him and he was going to do some carpentry work for me. And we weren't going to exchange money or silver or anything. We were going to have a covenant that I'd do that work for him and he'd do that work for me and we shook on it. And in order to fulfill our terms of the alliance, agreement or covenant, we have to fulfill what we told each other. That's what a covenant is. Yahweh says here he's going to make a new covenant. I want you to look down to verse 32 real quick right here at the beginning. It says, "...not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers." So the new covenant is different than the covenant that Yahweh made with the fathers of the people that are hearing this prophecy. He says, not according, or some Bibles say, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. So I do believe that it is a new covenant based on verse 32. Some people in the Torah community like to call it a renewed covenant. And that is based on one definition or understanding of the word chadash, which is the word for new here. Sometimes the word chadash can be referring to something that is redone or renewed, but I don't think the case is here. I think it's talking about something different, something new, um, because that same word also is used all through the Tanakh to speak of something brand new. For instance, in Exodus 1, it says that a new king rose up over Egypt. In Deuteronomy 24, it says if a man takes a new wife, it's not a renewed wife. (laughs) That's That's the first time he's had that wife. Deuteronomy 22a says if you build a new house, don't forget to put a battlement around the roof, talking about obviously a flat roof. Deuteronomy 20 verse 5 talks about a new house as well. So I think this covenant is a new covenant and not a renewed covenant because 32 says it's not like the covenant that Yahweh made with the fathers. Furthermore, we see in the Tanakh, in the Older Testament, that the first covenant or the older covenant was renewed many times. For example, it was made in Exodus chapter 19, where Yahweh said, If you do this, then you'll be my special treasure. And all Israel answered, Everything you've spoken, we're going to do. That was the agreement. That was the alliance. Well, we know that covenant was broken. Exodus 32 with the issue of the golden calf. And when Moshe, the prophet, came down off the mountain, he broke the commandments, the stone tablets of the commandments. He broke them signifying that they had broken that covenant. Already, they had already broken that agreements and that alliance they had had just made, oh, probably, you know, less than two months before that. And so the covenant had to be renewed and he goes back up to Yahweh and what does he get? He gets a second set of stone tablets signifying the renewal of the covenant. You can look at the end of the book of Joshua and the covenant is renewed. So a lot of times in the Tanakh, the Israelites would break and violate the law nationally and then they would come back to him and there would be a renewal But yet it would lapse and the same thing would happen over again and there would be a renewal and it would lapse and then there would be a renewal. So the covenant had been renewed many times. I don't think that's what Yahweh is saying here. I think He's saying, I'm going to make a new covenant and it's not going to be like the covenant I made with their fathers. Whose fathers? Well, He says here, He makes a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. So this has to be talking about physical Israelites because their fathers weren't spiritual, right? They were physical people. So he's talking about physical Israelites. Some people after my lessons through Galatians think that I don't believe in physical Israelites anymore. And there again, sometimes people hear what they want to hear. I've experienced it so much in teaching. People have selective hearing. Um, I just don't know if I'm a physical Israelite. And I also recognize that in the Tanakh and in the apostolic scriptures, the Newer Testament, that the nations or the non-Israelites had a way to join themselves to the people of Israel. And that's something that I had placed out of my mind for a time in the past, but it's very scriptural. Deuteronomy chapter four says that when the nations see the Israelites keeping the commandments, that they say, wow, you serve this awesome mighty one. Because what nation is there on earth that has a mighty one that would give them such good laws as you guys serve? And what that means is that Israel wasn't to be in a bowl segregated, but they were to be on a hill where the light shone out to the nations. Yahweh gave them His law and His instruction to shine their light forth. So there's no racism or prejudice going on here with the Israelites. I think that some got into the mix later on. But Yahweh is not promoting that. He's promoting, hey, these are my people, and they're to shine the light for everybody else to see. So it's talking about he's making it with Israelites. I want you to notice here too that a lot of people um, find that when you read the quote-unquote, church fathers, Uh, the people that wrote writings after the destruction of the temple that Christianity began to veer away from Hebraism and they began to tell Israelites or Jewish people that they had to renounce their Judaism, which just, Judaism is not a bad word, by the way. It just means um, the faith of the religion of Yehuda, Judah. Basically, it means the Torah, keeping the Torah. You can find it in the book of Maccabees. Now, Judaism has been manipulated and distorted, I understand, but the original definition of Judaism is, in the book of Maccabees, keeping the law of Yahweh. And Yahweh praises him for... For Judaism there. But later Christians believed that Hebraism or Jewish people or Israelite people had to forsake that in order to become a Christian. But what we see in the scriptures is that the nations had to find a way to attach to Israel. It's not that Israel had to forsake their mighty one and their laws and become a Christian. (laughs) The nations had to say, alright, we're not Israel. How can we join? How can we attach? And Isaiah 56 tells us a lot about that. It says the Sabbath is a big way and basically it's covenanting like Ruth where she says your people will be my people and your mighty one will be my mighty one and I'm not going to follow the ways of Moab or the ways of Ammon or the ways of Canaan. I'm going to follow the mighty one of Israel. Now we see this in the book of Joshua with Rahab where that she followed the mighty one of Israel even though she was a non-Israelite. So, But the covenant is to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So you've, if you're not one of them, you've got to find a way to join to the nation of Israel. Now this is one verse. See how we're just walking through the verse? We're letting the verse explain itself. We're taking one little section at a time. Behold, the day's come. Says Yahweh, I'll make a new covenant. House of Israel, house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. It's not rocket science. We just go through the Bible and we let the Bible explain itself. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand To bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant of mine they broke, although I was a husband to them, says Yahweh. Once again, this covenant that is new is not like the old covenant, referencing back to Exodus 19 and Mount Sinai. It's different in some way. And then Yahweh says, although I was married to them, or although I was a husband to them. So he mentions the covenant that was broken by Israel of old, And he says, they broke that even though I was a husband to them. Don't trip up on this. This is what's called a metaphor. The Bible is full of metaphors. It's not that Yahweh is literally a husband and Israel is literally a wife. It's a beautiful metaphor of relationship. And that Yahweh looks to the nation and depicts it as a marriage so that we understand that he has a close relationship with his people. But don't trip up too much on the metaphor and don't make too much out of the metaphor because Yahweh also calls the nation of Israel his son. In Exodus chapter 4 verses 21 through 23, he tells Moses, you go down to Pharaoh and tell him, let my son go out of Egypt, my firstborn son. So is Israel his wife or his son? Well, if we take that literally, then we're going to have a problem, right? Because he's obviously not married to its own son. That doesn't make any sense. But if we recognize there are two metaphors explaining relationship, then we can see that Yahweh loves Israel like a firstborn son. He has a relationship with a firstborn son. He has a relationship with Israel as though a, a husband who loves his wife. There is a variant here in the Septuagint. The Septuagint doesn't read this way. It doesn't say, although I was a husband to them. It says in the Septuagint which covenant of mine they broke, and I regarded them not. That's how it's spoken in the Greek Old Testament. This is quoted in the Newer Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 8. When the author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah about the new covenant, the author quotes from the Septuagint. So the author doesn't write, although I was a husband to them, he writes, and I regarded them not. There may be a variant, a textual variant in a Hebrew word that basically you put one letter in and it changes the meaning commentators talk about that. I don't think that the two meanings are disrespectful to each other. I think they harmonize. Um, I think through the Scriptures we can see that Yahweh typifies Himself as a husband to Israel. And I think I regarded them not as just a variant reading in the Older Testament. And that's basically what Yahweh is saying. Because they broke their end of the alliance and agreement, I regarded them not and I put them away. Verse 33 But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their heart. I will be their mighty one, and they shall be my people. The HCSB here reads at the beginning of verse 33, instead. Instead means in the place of. In other words, that was then. This is what's going to happen in the future. This is the covenant means get your ears ready because he's fixing to give you the definition of the new covenant. I talked to a pastor one day and his church was named New Covenant Church. And I asked him what the new covenant was and he told me it was Jesus. (laughs) And I said, where is the verse for that? Well, you know, he said it's all through there. I said, can you fine tune it anymore? He said, well, it's Matthew to Revelation. I said, no, I'm not talking about the Newer Testament writings like in your Bible when you're reading and you get to the end of Malachi and then you have that uninspired page in there that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. I'm not talking about that. What's the new covenant? What's the new agreement? What's the new alliance that Yahweh makes? Who does He make it with? What is it? He tells us right here, I will put, Yahweh speaking, I will put My law The word is Torah. We say that a lot around here and that's because it's all through the Hebrew Scriptures. The word Torah means teachings, instruction, the loving guidance of Yahweh whereby He tells you how to live so that you'll succeed and prosper and have a good life, Proverbs 3 says. It says it's help to your navel, marrow to your bones. The psalmist says it's more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. That's the Torah. And Yahweh says I will put my Torah... "...in their inward parts, and I will write it on their heart." Sometimes we say mind and heart, and we get that from the Septuagint, from the Old Testament in Greek, because the Septuagint says mind and heart. The Hebrew says inward parts and write it in their heart. So Yahweh is doing this. What's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? He has the power to remedy the problem of the they back in verse 32 where he says, which covenant of mine they broke. In other words, the people didn't keep their end of the agreement or their end of the alliance. Yahweh has the power to remedy that situation not by changing the Torah, but by changing His people. I will do something, Yahweh says. I'm going to make a change. You guys have been relapsing over and over and over and over. We do it still today. And in one sense, in one manner of speaking, even still today we're under the old covenant. Why? Because a lot of times when we want to do good with the mind, because we have a portion of the Holy Spirit living within us, we sin anyhow and then we have to ask for forgiveness. In other words, we break covenant with Yahweh and we ask for forgiveness. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll cover a little bit about that here momentarily. But Yahweh's power remedies the problem of the breaking of the covenant by the people. He places His Torah, His law within them. It's internal, writing it on their hearts. Now Yahweh here is speaking to the nation of Israel, through the prophet Jeremiah, and when Yahweh tells Israel of old, "I'm going to put my Torah into your inward parts and write it on your hearts," what Torah do you think they thought about? The one that Yahweh gave, not something different than what Yahweh gave, but the one that they already knew, the one that they had problem with, the one that they broke. The one that they said, everything you said Yahweh we're going to do, but then didn't do it. And 40 days later had already worshipped a golden calf (laughs) as though that was the mighty one that brought them out of Egypt. No, they would think, yeah, it's the same Torah you gave us. You're going to put it on our inward parts. And internal has to be different than before. There has to be something different about the new covenant. Than the old covenant, and this is it. And I want you to catch this. The difference is, is that the law is fully internalized on a person's heart and mind. Now, I want to contrast this with the older covenant. And I'm going to pull a couple of verses on the screen. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8. I alluded to this earlier in Deuteronomy 4 and 8. It says. Let's start at 7. For what great nation is there that has a mighty one so near to them as Yahweh our mighty one is whenever we call on Him? Verse 8. What great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances so righteous as all this law, Torah, which I set before you? I put it in front of you. It doesn't say which I put inside of you. But I set it before you. So in other words, Yahweh's given Israel of old, in the old covenant, I'm putting the law in front of you to look at, I want you to keep it. Nothing about internalization. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 32 basically says the same thing You're at the bottom of the screen. You shall observe to do all the statutes and the ordinances which I set before you today. Now, notice this in Exodus. Chapter thirty one verse eighteen. Exodus thirty one eighteen. He gave to Moses when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets written with the mighty one's finger. So Yahweh actually wrote the commandments on tables of stone with his own finger. That's what the scripture teaches. Notice written on where? Tablets of stone. Now notice Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, even the Ten Commandments, and He wrote them on the two stone tablets. Not on the inner parts. Not on the heart. Not on the mind. He told Israel to serve Him with their heart. We sing it when we sing the Shema, when we quote the Shema at the end of Sabbath service. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. But he doesn't say that he wrote them on their heart. And that's why they had problems. Some Israelites were more righteous than others. Prophet Moses was one of the most righteous men to ever live. I'd give him homage and honor if I stood before him this day. But he still was a transgressor of the law. He still broke fellowship with Yahweh. He wasn't even allowed into the promised land because he had a little problem there with not obeying something that Yahweh told him directly to do but yet He was righteous. But the problem is is that no Israelite ever obeyed Yahweh fully. They all sinned. They all broke Yahweh's law. So the old covenant people were called to receive the Torah in their heart, but there has to be a difference with the new covenant because it says the new covenant is not like the covenant of old which they broke even though Yahweh was a husband to them. So there has to be a difference. The end of verse... 33 Let's go back to Jeremiah 31. and Let's go to verse 33. At the end of verse 33, it says, I will be their mighty one, and they shall be my people. What is he talking about there? I thought he's already their mighty one, and they're already his people. Well, the difference here is that in the old covenant, there was a command and there was a requirement. But in the new covenant, there is grace. And there is giving. And that doesn't mean that there's not commands and requirements in the New Covenant. And it doesn't mean there's not grace and giving in the Old Covenant. It's just that there's some kind of contrast between the people not being able to obey the law fully in the Old, but being able to obey the law fully in the New. (coughs) Yahweh is fully our Mighty One. He's fully our Elohim when we fully submit to Him ask you a question i ask myself this question today do you fully submit to yahweh and the answer is whether or not you are ready to admit this the answer has to be no by the very fact that we struggle still with sin we have good days we have good weeks we may have good months and good years but there comes times in our life romans chapter 7 Where Paul says, I want to do good, but evil is present. And that which I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. We struggle with that. Why? Because the law is still set before us today. The law is not fully written on our hearts and minds today. The Torah is put in place first, number one reason to reveal our sin. The law is a mirror that shows us the dirt on our face. That's the number one reason for the Torah is to show us that we have sin and we need a remedy and we need help from the Father. And the Torah is put there to humble us, to recognize our need. We can try to act like we are these super Hebrews, but everyone who is honest knows the sin that you have trouble with. So in verse 34, this is going to be the finale here for today's lesson. They will no longer each teach his neighbor. Talking about the new covenant now. They will no longer each teach his neighbor and every man teach his brother, saying, "No, Yahweh. For they will all know me from their least to their greatest, says Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. No longer teach... Every man is brother and neighbor to know Yahweh. Wait, I'm teaching you right now to know Yahweh. What this verse should tell you is that we are not yet fully in the new covenant. Yahweh's law is not fully written on your heart. It's not fully written on your mind. One way we know that is because we have to do something different than verse 34 tells us. I still have to teach. Brother Jerry taught. Brother TJ taught. We teach. We learn. We grow. Then we sin. We break covenant. Then we repent. We come into fellowship. If the law is fully written on your heart, who in here could stand up and quote Exodus 21 or Leviticus 19? You can't. Now, there are certain things you can quote. There are certain laws that you may have down. There are certain commandments that you don't struggle with sin in regards to. But you don't have the law fully written on your heart. It's a process whereby Yahweh writes His law on your heart. Same with the Holy Spirit. The TJ and I were texting and talking recently. and I'll get into this next week when we move to Ezekiel. But this is why the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to believers, he calls it a down payment. Or earnest, It's like earnest money. In other words, it's a portion that is placed inside of us. It's Yahweh's Spirit, but it's a portion that's placed inside of us that gives us a desire to do what's right. But yet we still struggle with sin, right? And it's because the law is not fully on our heart yet. It's because we are still looking forward to the fullness of the new covenant where we won't have to teach anybody anymore to know Yahweh. What does he mean to know Yahweh? Just know about Yahweh? No. Once again, the demons know about Yahweh. But they have no works. Let me show you what he means to know Yahweh. This is from the prophet Hosea chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1. Hear Yahweh's word, you children of Israel. For Yahweh has a charge against the inhabitants of the land. Indeed, there is no truth, nor goodness, nor knowledge nor knowledge of Elohim, of the Mighty One in the land. There is cursing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break boundaries, and bloodshed causes bloodshed. The no knowledge of the Mighty One in the land is linked with the transgression of the Torah. So on the one hand, Israel of old had the law set before Him, and it was to be in their heart And some of them did better than the others, but because the law was not fully internalized then and neither is it now, we still have problems with sin. Look at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's not knowledge about Yahweh or just knowing that Yahweh exists like the demons. It's intimate knowledge. It's relationship knowledge. It's a vow to Yahweh. It's a covenant with Yahweh to be obedient. He says, As people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you that you may be no priest to me because you have forgotten your mighty one's law. I will also forget your children. So the lack of knowledge according to verse 6 is the forgetting of the law of Yahweh. Israel had the law. Some of them kept the law. Then they forgot the law and they committed the sins back here in verse 2. Well, it's a shame today that many Christians are never taught the law to start with, so they have no ability to even forget the law. So this is what Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four says, when it says, "Everybody in that covenant will know Yahweh from the least to the greatest." I think that's an allusion to what. Our That's a prophecy to what Yeshua talked about in Matthew 5.19 where He talks about the least in the kingdom and the greatest in the kingdom and the levels in the kingdom. I taught on that verse not too long ago. But yet everybody knows Him in the New Covenant. Nobody has to teach. I don't have to teach Brother Jerry this law and that law because He knows them fully because they're fully written on His mind and His heart. Same thing with Matthew. Same thing with Rocket, John, Julie, Phyllis. We'll all know Yahweh intimately, intimately, keeping His law perfectly, fully. The ability to sin will be removed from us. The law will be internalized, written on our hearts and on our minds, and we won't have to teach one another. That's the promise of the new covenant. Then He says, I will forgive their sin and never remember their sin. And this is because of what He did to us internally. We are forgiven now based on the work of the Messiah, but we still sin. We confess... We have forgiveness and then the cycle goes over and then we sin again and we confess and we have forgiveness and then it happens again. So we have a portion now, earnest money now, a down payment of the Spirit now on our hearts and minds, but not the fullness. So what we have now is a foretaste of something that's greater to be in the future when sin will be removed completely. Sin will be forgiven completely. It will be remembered no more. Because the ability to sin will not even be inside of you. These are the better promises. Hebrews talks about the new covenant is established on better promises. We're talking about some of these better promises of the new covenant. (laughs) Yahweh doesn't change his law, he changes his people. So, in conclusion, this is the new covenant. It's the same mighty one, it's the same people, it's the same Torah. It's just that the Torah is not set before us anymore. The Torah is internalized. Next week I'll go more into how we have the down payment of this now. The giving of the Spirit. We'll link that up with Ezekiel. Where Ezekiel talks about this new Spirit that we're going to be receiving. Um, I believe we have a little bit of it now. But not the fullness of it. We await the fullness at the kingdom and our inheritance. Um, And I'll talk about how that the new covenant really is equivalent with the kingdom of Yahweh. Uh, Whereas we can talk about the kingdom now and later, we can talk about the new covenant now and later. The new covenant definitely was established or ratified, we might say, by the blood of the Messiah. Uh, But it won't come into its finality until the resurrection of the righteous. But today we went through verses 31 through 34 of Jeremiah 31, and I believe we let the Bible define terms and concepts for us. So hopefully you enjoyed that and we'll talk about more of this next week. Yahweh I pray that it would be pressed on our minds and our hearts. The words of the prophet through your son Yeshua. Amen.